Welcome back after morning tea. I hope you all enjoyed your tea and cake. I did. And um, so um, at this point in the day, I'll give a short talk for about 20 minutes. And then we'll go back into walking meditation. And then after that, we'll do a kind of um, a guided exercise followed by another walking meditation and a final silent sitting before lunch. <clears throat> and during the last, the last silent sitting period before lunch, there will be an opportunity for um, a one-on-one um, interview with me or meeting with me on the veranda. If there are any practice issues you'd like to discuss on a one-on-one basis. <clears throat> so, um, last, last fortnight we were, um, we were talking about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, um, and the importance of um, attending, attending to those needs um, as, as best we can. Um, just, just quickly, um, Maslow had a hierarchy of about five different needs, um, starting with physiological needs, safety and security needs, onto you know, love and belonging or attachment needs, and esteem needs and self-actualization needs. And, uh, <clears throat> and we talked about, some, we discussed some examples of um, how those needs are sometimes violated and how sometimes we need to take action one of the examples we discussed was a domestic violence situation and, uh, and how it's important to uh, be compassionate to ourselves and attend to our needs and sometimes we have to take action to... I want to dis- continue that discussion today only I want to talk about the um, observing self and the emotional self and um, and trying to um, um, really get a, an experiential feel of the distinct, how, how, how the difference between those two and how they work together. Um, one could describe the uh, the path of Zen as uh, as moving from a life of um, emotional upset uh, to a life. Uh, based on living by vow or by commitment and uh, our core commitment or our core vow is to is to lead an awakened life and um, if we're able to be aware and awake in each moment we're much less likely to get drawn into or caught into strong emotional reactions which can be harmful to ourselves or others or at least we can, uh, through our practice, we can reduce the duration and frequency of strong uh, emotional reactions. And uh, I would suggest that one of the things you uh, may uh, um, observe over, over years of practice is the, uh, um, this movement away from upset and drama. Um, or towards a life of, of much more clarity and equanimity and hopefully empathy and compassion for self and others. 
and um, you know that this moving away from drama and upset is 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 uh, um, comes easier for for some people than others, um, and uh, sometimes it's um, for some people they may find it hard to let go of drama and uh, upset. Um, but, uh, it can substitute sometimes for unmet needs. Um, so as we, as I want you to contemplate these two quotes as well, and uh, and how they can help us shed some light on this um, distinction between the observing self and the emotional, personal self or the emotional self. Our first quote: "This above all." To thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day. Thou canst not then be false to any man or woman. And who who said that? Shakespeare. Yeah, it was um, from Hamlet and Polonius when he's uh, saying goodbye to his son who's going off to Paris. Um, and uh, the other quote is don't believe everything you feel and um, that's a quote from Ezra Bider who's a, a Zen teacher in, in the Ordinary Mind Zen School in San Francisco no no San Diego sorry <clears throat> so um, yeah holding these two quotes is very interesting um, so, to thy own self be true. Um, well, which self are we talking about here? Are we talking about what is sometimes referred to in Zen as the true self? Or are we talking about our personal, emotional self? Maybe we can talk about both of those in that context. Um, Which self are we be, are, can we be true to? Can we be true to both selves? How do we know if we're being true to ourself? The observing self, really, that's a, uh, basically, um, the, the, the word self in that can be, can be a bit misleading. Um, by observing self, we simply mean just the awareness of this moment. In a sense, we've been focusing on the constant flow of sensations, and the constant flow of sounds, and the arising of thoughts, and the possible arising of emotions. But each moment, we can also be, we're, we're practicing in Zen, observing that. And the more we practice that, more experientially it becomes a little bit clearer, you know, that um, um, the observing self is 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 not the you know the thought we're experiencing or the sensation we're experiencing or the the emotion we're experiencing. It's the context for that to occur. Um, there'd be no sensation, there'd be no thought, there'd be no nothing without awareness. So in a sense, um, 
Every time we're able to settle into our self as awareness, we're being true to the observing self. We're being, we're being true to this moment. And, um, and in Zen practice, this, the, the observing self is kind of like the doorway or the gateway to the, the vastness, the wonder of what is. Uh, and the oneness of what is. And, um, but it's a very easily lost, if not practiced, cultivated. It's especially easily lost in moments of interpersonal dispute or crisis or emotion or upset of of that kind. And um, in our everyday life, it's really good to practice with uh, you know more minor upsets or minor angers or minor minor ups and downs and, and coming back to our ability to observe in that moment exactly what's happening. And um, so in in a, in a way if we if we if we're being our awareness then we're being totally true to that moment and there's nothing missing there's nothing lacking um, we can be perfect as we are even though we may be a flawed and damaged human being we're still perfect as we are in that moment from the that that perspective of the of awareness that's the that's the gateway into the the absolute, if you like, that's the that's the um, the sense in which everything's okay, even though we might be going through a crisis, um, even though we might be uh, uh, insecure or feel not we're not good enough. It's still okay from the perspective of the observing self. It's just what it is. And if we, especially if we able just to experience ourselves as that flow of sensations, sounds. So, practicing with the observing self and uh, in a way when the observing self collapses it's just that sense of no longer any separateness, just the, just the bird sound, just the sensation. There's no longer a sense of duality anymore when that falls away. And the more we practice that, um, we find that we can start to create a, a bigger and bigger container for our, our personal or emotional self and the emotional you know, roller coaster rides we sometimes go on. So, what does it mean to be true to our emotional self? This is a little bit more complex. And, that, and that's where the quote, don't believe everything you feel, uh, comes in. So, if the observer is simply awareness, like the metaphor that's often used in Zen is the mirror, so we just, whatever appears in the mirror, and the mirror is awareness. Um, the personal self or the emotional self often gets caught in drama and upset. And, um, and we need to bring some sense of, um, apart from just noting what the noting what the thought or a judgment might be at the moment when we're having an emotional reaction, but also really inquiring into 
our emotional self and our, our, our history as to, to gain some understanding where we can get some clarity on whether or not we're being true to our emotional self. It's a bit more complex. And so in a sense we have to, we have to bring in a developmental perspective in that regard um, because most of our emotional um, experience in terms of our what you might call our emotional templates of how we experience ourselves and others tends to get laid down in early childhood. And uh, as we know, a child requires a sensitive and responsive caregiver um, to attend to the child's needs and also to actually enhance the child's ability to understand what their the needs are and to develop them over time. And without that, and that, uh, sometimes it's not a level playing field. We're not necessarily born into a family where we, we receive sensitive and uh, responsive caregiving. Sometimes we're lucky and we do. Um, but if we don't, then we have to adapt as best we can to get our needs met. And sometimes in order to adapt, um, to a, uh, an environment which is less than sensitive and, and responsive. Um, our, um, our um, ability to understand what our needs are can get quite distorted or lost to us. And um, so when the child's needs are not met and the child experiences pain, emotional pain of one, then um, sometimes it's kind of like a, a sense of a denial of need starts to happen and we adapt to uh, what we have to, to in order to survive. And um, so the child internalizes their experiences and, um, and often the conclusions a child comes to um, can be simply things like, I'm bad, um, or I'm, I'm not lovable, or um, as the child gets older, maybe I am a failure, um, or I need to be there for others. Um, and, and these, over time, they develop into um, some uh, contemporary psychologists speak of them in terms of being schemas that uh, underlie a lot of our emotional reactions. And so, for example, if as a child we had to tiptoe around our caregivers and uh, Make sure the, the you know we pacified our caregivers or t attended to the needs of our caregivers where, we, where our needs are not getting met. Then we could we develop a, a kind of um, a way of being in the world which is other other directed and um, and some of the the schemas that that you know refer to that are kind of like the subjugation schema or the self sacrifice schema where. And, um, and these, these, these schemas can get, in our lives as adults, can get activated um, by our adult relationships. And, uh, and even though sometimes we might find ourselves getting angry or annoyed, we, we're still uh, sometimes complying to that schema of self-sacrifice or subjugation, for example. Um, or if we were raised in an environment where there was, um, you know, where that was abusive, we can have a, a schemas around, really around abandonment or mistrust. Um, 
And again, they get played out in our adult relationships in various ways. So um, if, we, if we surrender to the abandonment schema, then we're very unlikely to, to be that, uh, we're going to be very wary about getting involved in attachment relationships because people will ultimately leave us or abandon us. Or we're all different ways of trying to cope with that, or we might get really clingy in a relationship. But the result being we push that person away, so we end up getting abandoned again. So a lot of our um, emotional life has lots of you know, historical layers, and um, but we can only really get to know ourselves uh, in this, in the moment, in the present. And so um, one of the um, practices that Joker Beck would encourage would be to um, really um, either take one day a week or uh, and just really, really carefully monitor and observe yourself over that day and monitor all the little minor upsets during the day and maybe um, and see if you can catch the upset as it's happening and, uh, and then see if, and then um, see if you can do, you know, see any, any, any patterns to those upsets, to those emotional reactions. And, uh, and then we, uh, by, uh, by seeing, by seeing the, the reaction and by returning to the observing self can be very, very healing um, to actually uh, have a sort of aha moment or a, a seeing of that activation starting to happen can prevent us going into that sort of angry child mode or the abused child mode or whatever it might be. Um, we just catch it and we just get that insight into it and, the, and, and we, we reconnect with our awareness of this moment. And in this moment, the more we, you know, we practice the sitting practice, the more we return to the body, return to the breath, the more the breath becomes a we're training ourselves to care for ourselves, to nurture ourselves, and and eventually, all those over time, maybe we can even heal some of those needs which were not met when we were children, and that we can actually, as adults, even almost play a kind of um, uh, a, having having a corrective emotional experience by just getting to know ourselves really intimately. It does help to have a relationship with other adults that are responsive and sensitive to help us um, heal from childhood wounds. But we can also, I think, through this kind of practice, learn to heal ourselves in that way as well. <clears throat> so, emotions are, um, um, you know, even the word emotion, uh, e-motion, this, this, this idea that they can carry us away and uh, and before we know it, we're just gone in an instant. But the more we do this practice, and the more we, we can catch ourselves, and, uh, and all of a sudden, what might have been a drama before, might be just gone in a few seconds. And we just come back to our breath, just come back to this moment, um, without the need to ratchet up the drama in some way. So, in a sense, when we are just being that observer, 
we can't really be upset. So like, uh, just a quote from Joko Beck, um, so the way of practice that I found to be the most effective is to increase the power of the observer. Whenever we get upset, we have lost it. We can't get upset if we are observing, because the observer never gets upset. Because the, the observer itself is nothing, so nothing. So nothing can't get upset. So if we can be the observer, we watch any drama with interest and affection, but without being upset. She goes on to say, I've never met anyone who had completely become the observer, but there is a vast difference between someone who can be it most of the time and someone who can be it only rarely. So the aim of practice is to increase the impersonal space. And interestingly, she says, although it sounds cold, and as a practice it, it may feel cold sometimes, but it doesn't produce cold people, quite the opposite. When we reach a stage where the witness is collapsing, we begin to know what life is. And that's the space of compassion. When the ego is absent, we're more able to respond with compassion to ourselves and to others. And responding with compassion is, is not a drama. So, just leave it at that for today. Thank you.